Queensland Premier League season. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Chelsea Spot Podcast. I hope you're all doing really well. Um, it's been a month since we've last recorded, but we are back on it and I think we're in a bit of a, a crisis stage where we felt like we had to record at this point because a lot has gone on since our last episode. In our last episode, we didn't really even talk Chelsea. Um, that was the episode with former sort of Chelsea Academy coach Saul Saxonhurst. Do go and check that one out if you haven't already because that was a really good lesson and he he spoke a lot of big things about Chelsea's academy and Noni Madueke, who's one of his personal trainees. Um, but that's enough about that. We're at, we're here to talk about the absolute shambles of a situation. Where, um, and I've been joined by three guests today, so I'm going to take my time in introducing them all. First of all, Siram, how are you doing? Good. How are you? As good as one can be. Um, it's been a difficult last month, both in terms of sports and not just the football. Um, yeah, I, but, I, I feel that. Uh, yeah. Good stuff. Um, Nick as well, Nick. Welcome on. The last time you were on, you told me um, you were defending Potter. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see if a year later you'll be defending kind of Pochettino. Similar, yeah. similar situation as last time, which is unfortunate. But that's what's stuff to get off the chest. Exactly, and in between that, we have also had Frank Lampard as gaffer, so it's just going to be interesting to see if you're going to be backing Pochettino in the same way you perhaps were backing Potter. And lastly, we're going to join by Peter. He, you've been on a bit more recently, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, we have. We had a pod like a couple of weeks ago. I think it was before. I don't even remember when, but it was still a rant. So fair enough. Back for more of the same minute. Exactly. But I feel like, yeah, <laughs> our, our run so far this season and last season has been a bit, okay, we've played badly and we've got, but we've got a lot to look forward to and they're developing. I think today's is going to be a bit different um, because it's been a very messy last few weeks. So let's just get straight into it. Basically, we've just lost 2-0 to Newcastle, as to Newcastle, to Everton. We lost to Newcastle before that. We lost to Manchester United before that. Um, and it just seems like everything is is going very very wrong and I think that started off with the Man United result and I know we lost 4-1 to Newcastle but I think we came out of the Newcastle saying okay it's 1-1 at half we were 1-1 at half time and who knows what happened in that second half but those sort of things can happen but when you're playing and sort of the way we did against Man United and Everton um, then I'm not sure how much hope you can really rely on. Um, I'll come to you, Siren, first. I do want to focus on the, the Everton game itself, and we'll go on to then Pochettino and all that other stuff later. But, yeah, just any early early thoughts on, on, on that game particularly? Uh, to be honest, the focus this week has been so much around the discourse after the game that I kind of forgot what happened in the game. <laughs> uh, I think it's probably good to start with the Reese James injury, though. Um, he's he, he came back and then now uh, he's out for three months again and that's been the big news that dropped today. Um, <clears throat> it's really hard to find consistency when your captain and probably the best player in the team goes down every five seconds or so and obviously it's like a more widespread issue with how the team is performing but I just feel like this team is in a situation where they just need consistent minutes from 
they're important players, consistent uh, contributions. But we're just in the spot now where Rich James is out again, and we don't know when we'll see him next. It says three months, but when he comes back next, there might be another. There might be another spanner in the works. So I don't know. It's just very confusing now. I think it's like the first step into where are we going to go from here? You know. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and I think the the thing is with Reese's injury as well. There's also been talk from a few journalists that there's a there's a chance he does take the surgery. Um, and if he does, you imagine he'll be out for the whole season. Um, and I, I I don't really want to talk about too much about should he have surgery or should he not because no one really has a clue um, except for him and the department, medical department and things like that. And I think the scans will, will tell him what he needs to do in that sense. So I think in terms of surgery talk, there's, there's not much to it. But I think, yeah, the, the injury has really just dampened the mood in everyone. I think when everyone saw him come off we assumed okay he may be up for two to three weeks because you know he's come off early but clearly he felt the need to come off um but it looks like it is quite a serious injury and he's going to be out for a minimum of two to three months which is a massive massive problem um and we will actually talk about it now i guess because gusto is injured um as well and we don't really know what's happened to him to be honest uh a left back chill was injured that means Mark Cockrell has gone to right back, which meant Levi Cole has played out of position at left back. Um, Nick, this fullback sort of issue is becoming a massive issue when it, when you know, coming into the season, we thought it would be perhaps of the least of our issues. Yeah, it really has. I think this season was the first in a in a in a couple of seasons that we were like, oh, we finally have some quality depth for Reese. If Reese goes down, because that's kind of something. I think we've come to expect at least at one point or another in the season. Um, but let me get some Tuchel licks off real quick. It's uh, not only, I mean, first of all, you know, you had Sari who kind of ruined Kante and, and his body started breaking down kind of with Tuchel. And then, um, you know, he really didn't play last season uh, at all. Um, but Tuchel kind of did the same thing with Reese, where every single game, it was Reese wing back, explosive movements. Reese never really got to take a rest. Um, and now you're seeing the same thing that happened to to Ngolo Kante is happening to Reese, where uh, you know, they they come back, they they think they're good and, and their body just keeps breaking down. Um so not only did Tuchel do that, he also pushed who would have been a perfect um depth option for Reese in, in Tino Livermento, who honestly is is looking like one of the one of the best right back talents in the world right now. Um, uh, what are we selling for? Part five million. Yeah, it was around four point five or something like that. Awesome! I'm so happy we were able to get that money and spend it on someone like Mark Cucurella. Oh, we're we're the best. Um, Nick has Nick had one agenda going into today, and he made sure he got his special comments up before anything else. I I, sure I did want to do more some than research, one. like. Uh, of how much money we could have saved um, just from, you know, keeping people like, like go here, uh, you know, like that. But I mean, what's, what's the point? The club's just going to keep doing it. So. Yeah. I think it's interesting um, regarding Tino, because obviously I think we've made it very clear over the last few years on this podcast, on the Chelsea spot that selling him for 4.5 mil would buy us, 
quite obviously and I think two it's been like two years later it's become incredibly obvious and I think I made the point this morning I didn't actually realize well I forgot that we had signed Gusto in January but anyway we signed him in January to come and play for the summer um and I made the point that Tino Livramento we 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 worked hard in letting him go under Tuchel making sure that we had a buyback on him so for example with Lewis Bate he actually rejected the buyback we wanted on him. Same with Miles Burt-Harris. With Tino Livramento, we worked hard. You know, obviously we didn't work hard enough to keep him, but we worked hard enough that we're like, okay, we clearly do think you're actually quite good. Let's just, I think it was around 25 mil. I'm not sure the details um, about the buyback. And I believe that was available this summer. And obviously, because we had already bought Gusto, um, we didn't really feel the need to bring in Tino. Um, but I just think it would have been quite interesting say we hadn't bought Gusto, would we have gone to Tino? I, I genuinely think we would have. And I also genuinely think he would have come to the club. Um, his fan parents are still season ticket holders at the club. They still come to pretty much every game. Um, and yeah, yeah, no, it's just like yeah. there, there was, there's so much misconception about why Tino left like of, Oh, you know, he didn't, he wanted to leave stuff like that. Nah. He went like he saw Reese in front of him. He never thought he was going to play here. That's why he left. Like it's nothing that can be further from the truth. So I I can't stand when people push that narrative because he he left because we we didn't make a uh, a pathway for him and we wanted to bring Hakimi who also Reese was not happy with like Reese wasn't happy about that situation either the Hakimi situation so like. That whole yeah. that whole thing is so stupid. You're right, um, and but that's in the past. But I think it is important to note what happened and use it to apply for some of the players, which we will discuss later on and what could happen in the future. Um, coming back to the fullback situation, I just want to end off, Peter. Uh, any extra thoughts? But most importantly, I do want to ask you sort of your, your solution in the next month or two now to the to this fullback problem. Do you want the uncut version or? <laughs> I want no. the uncut. <laughs> Death, but no. On a serious note, um, honestly, I wouldn't. I don't think we have a solution unless Gusto returns. I know people. Some people don't really like him, but I think he's actually been one of the good to better players that we've signed. And to Nick's point, which first of all I fully agree with in terms of treatment, but we have to take into account. Like, obviously, hindsight is quite a thing now, but. At the time, Tino was coming off an injury. We had signed Gusto. Kind of didn't make sense for them to dip in the market. Nobody knew if Tino was going to come back after like having a setback on his ACL the way he has done. Props to him. Phenomenal stuff, honestly. I've, I've said it that we're likely to regret both Tino and Hull. So it's not really a surprise. Well, now our own fullback situation... Honestly, I, supp- I suppose we're hoping Gusto comes back quick because I'm not trying to see. And even if I don't, I'm saying I don't want to see, are we sure Pochettino is going to even play this Asia right back? Because I'm not sure that happens. Or Caicedo. It seems he's stuck in, in, in misplacing those. We're going to get to Levi Colwell, I suppose, which has been the m- most underwhelming thing from his management, if I've got to be honest. But he's probably going to use Kukurea right back and just, yeah, kill... Any I'm sort lose of lose my mind. Yeah, kill any sort of um, attacking threat we can have from both flanks, which handicaps you in massively if you deep it. So 
my own solution if I have to, and I'm obviously not a paid millions manager, I'll probably just put Caicedo there, honestly, if we're eliminating Gusto from the equation. And I know he's kind of not been what we'd expect from him as well, but I feel like he can kind of do this inverted pullback role that seems to get everyone's attention these days. And from there on, you kind of figure out how to box up and widen up at the same time your formation by just altering things. I'm just going to ask you one question, because I, I was thinking about this morning. Um, would you sign a fullback in January? No. Here we go again. This is my point. Yes Honestly, or no? Depends, like... depends, depends, because I'll be honest, if, it, if we're talking about a left-back in particular... And we're not trusting Matson because for some whatever mm. reason I don't know. I would probably be up for it because initially the initial poch plan of the left back being somewhat of a like Sterling over this uh, coming inside and then obviously the fullback either overlapping or moving into the final third in behind is good because there's there are profiles or even if the fullback is inverting into midfield there are profiles which can fit that mold. But if you're asking me whether I'd sign another right back, no, definitely not. It just makes no sense. And even the left back, granted, is if we can shift someone, and Chilwell's not going to be shifted. So, mm. yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see whether we do. I know towards the end of last summer, above, um, before I can't remember, we were looking at Carl's Carl Peters, and he's obviously someone who, who can't play at both right back and left back. Um, so whether we do an option like that, it would be interesting. Whether we sort of gamble on Gusto coming back and staying fine, and then just him playing until Reese comes back, and then choosing one of Cobble or Cocker at left back, um, and then Chile should be back as well. I don't know when, but I imagine in somewhat soon. Um, Trev, Trev, back soon. Trev, that's a good shout. Trev can play right back. He should, again should be back. Although I suspect he's going to get sold in January. Yeah, um, that's sort of been the media briefings. And you also do have the option of looking towards the academy. Um, there's Ooh. not really, <laughs> there's not really a, a sort of like a, I'll say, you know, in the in the way that there was under Reese, um, under Tuchel, was like, okay, if Reese is injured, you quite literally have Tino Livermento to pick. You sort of don't have that sort of quality at the moment in the academy at right back, but you have options. Um, you have Brody Hughes and Josh Brooking who. Have, both play 21s football regularly now um, and have played it right back and I think they would be able to do a job. You have Dylan Williams who I think would suit sort of this squad quite well and he's actually a left back but has played right back minutes before. Uh, Alex Matos, he's definitely one which Pochino may be thinking about because he's played right back before in his career. He played right wing back in pre-season and for the 21s and he's already been involved with the first team a lot recently. Um, even though he's come on only two times, I suspect that could increase over the next few weeks. Uh, and then you could even go down to the 18s to your probably most natural and most talented right back in the academy at the moment, and Joshua Chiampong, who's an England international, um, and he's already like six six foot one, so that even solves the height issue which everyone is going on about, despite it probably not actually Castle, being an issue. Castle Dean could probably play there too. And you're right. I think Leo Carlstein last oh. season did a few minutes at centre back on right back. Um, if I may interrupt you for a sec, please, because yeah. I got a question actually towards you, because you'd like to play person for yeah, the yeah. team. Um, what if, hypothetically speaking, when like how is the guy we signed from Everton doing, the youngster, the left back? Ishe Samuel Smith. Samuel yeah. Smith. yeah, 
if we move Kukurea to left back, would mm. he at least? I'm asking, do you know why? Because I'm never seeing us these days use a youth player, like naturally born and bred from the academy. So maybe because yeah. we bought, he kind of has the leeway to move forward in the pecking order. That's a, that's so, a, yeah. actually that's a really good point because if he does move Kukurea to right back, I think Ishe is sort of your your Levi Cole sort of mold in the sense that Pochino. I think what he likes about Levi at left back is he's got this height, he's got this physical presence, um, he's a bit more of a centre back style. Um, but Ishe probably has a lot of that and still that dynamism which probably Levi doesn't get at left back. Um, he's not he's played left back slash left wing back pretty much his old Everton. Uh, academy days and he's very much around he's trained with the first team a few times and the club do really want to push him on actually so that that is an excellent point actually that you could move Kukurek to right back and play one of Dylan Williams or Ishe Samuel Smith at left back and I think Ishe is a player who Posh could like um, I have an idea yeah go on we could just not play Kukurek at all you could also do that which leaves yeah. you with the option of Disassi or pretty much a right back I assume or Casado. or get um, this get this Two academy players, maybe. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I think you're getting up your hopes way too much there. Um, but who knows? Let, let's see. I we, we mentioned it before, and I do want to talk about it. And the, the, the two names I want to discuss are Colwell and Martin, and I want that to lead on very nicely to asking what the hell Pochettino has been doing in the last few weeks slash months, whatever you think. Um, so, Siren, I'll come to you first. Um, Levi and Ian and sort of everything about that, go. What's your question exactly? I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on sort of Levi being played left-back instead of centre-back? I have so many thoughts, by the way. Martin not being played at left-back and then just go no on a Pochettino run. So all yours. Go ahead. Uh, first of all, I just, wanted to, I just wanted to come back to something that Peter said about how uh, players that are bought into the, into the academy are given more leeway to sort of progress. And I think that's that being an issue in 2023, or 2024, actually, now we're going into it, it's just ridiculous. I... Uh, I don't I don't understand for the life of me, Levi playing. I mean, I, I get that Poch has like some fan. I get what he's trying to do as well, like you said, that physical presence, et cetera, et cetera, is it is important, but at the same time, we're really missing that overlap, that dynamism, uh, that sterling needs on the left. And it's interesting because I remember a lot of the issues with Mudrik being unsuccessful in the past has come down to Chilwell not being very uh, reciproc- reciprocative to Mudrik, not making overlapping runs or not sensing what Mudrik's about to do and then taking up the space that he's leaving behind so that there is passing options. And now we've played Kukurela, uh, and that hasn't worked either. And he's playing Levi, who is honestly, it, it's based just based on how he's playing. It's been more of a struggle to get uh, the left winger involved. And now we're in a situation where I just, I just, I just don't know what's happening. And I feel like Poch himself is just, he's just completely dropping the ball. And I know Peter has some thoughts about Pochettino in general as well. <laughs> and you know what's more ironic? It comes from the guy who actually actively spammed Twitter to just get him in. Like I was praying to God, we get him in, get me. That wasn't just you in this call. I, I was too. Everybody <laughs> was on the hype train for Pochettino because I was not. And it was perfect for a young squad. He made the most sense from what you've seen from him from work at Southampton and Tottenham. Like 
genuinely the most sense in terms of adequately picking up a squad that had to be built in by created into something and doing that and sorry about that and unfortunately he's just i i, I don't even know what he's doing i'm, I'm gonna be honest like I, I said i'm gonna run i am gonna run i don't know what he's doing like <laughs> nick i'm sorry you were probably gonna be next but I've hold on, I'll hold off spaces because I don't have time for anything these days. There's nothing watching us that makes me become even a smidge of optimistic. I, I swear to God, and you know how I optimistic I am. Oh yeah. I mean, so this, clueless. this is a situation. I'm sorry, sir. This is a situation where you have a person, and like someone said it. I think it was Keir Doyle on Twitter. Very correct. In preseason, we had one plan that was very new to Poch himself because I've never seen him play like a 3-2-4-1 and now we suddenly play that it looked very idealistic very good very very smart very innovative in a way because it fit the players we have and especially now when you have players like Caicedo and Enzo who for example Caicedo is getting both of them are getting a lot of flack for just not being able to track their runners correctly and be fast enough which I get it, that's not ideal, but there's different strengths to these people. And as such, you have to adjust to those. And we've just lost everything completely. Like, we don't have cutting edge off the fullbacks, which is key these days. Like, you don't have athletic fullbacks. 70% of your attacking plan dies because nowadays wings mostly cut in. You don't have a good left winger unless Sterling plays there. You don't have a good right winger unless Sterling plays there. Like Cole Palmer, is, I wouldn't call him a right winger per se. Like I love him. I think he's also a very smart boy, but you get what I'm pointing at. And then you have Conor Gallagher just running around and he's naturally going to pick up praise because all of the work rate is there. So he's bound to do something good and something bad. <laughs> I just don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm really lost for words of what I'm seeing. Like These days I just look like a different team. It... It's completely flipping the script. It makes no sense. And then you have the lack of any, well, I'm sorry to say it, but like balls to actually change something more drastically. Uh, the Poch I remember from Spurs didn't give two cares about anything. Anything. Like you didn't suit his style, you get out. And I'm sorry, but players yeah. like Thiago Silva these days, uh, even De Sassi to a degree these last few games, they just don't fit. The way you want to play, and yet you're still persisting. So when you like, I guess you want to start from the back when you want to build your squad. Cool, that's fine with me. Teach their own. At least have something there placed. We literally have seven players that sit without knowing what the hell their role is, and Robert Sanchez in behind them. That's enough for for him. Like, I think it kind of goes along with something that a lot of us said last year was like. We kind of we knew the results were going to be up and down, but like as long as you're you're playing the young guys, you're you're making sure they're developing. It's it's not that much of a like like we get we're going to lose some games, we're going to drop points, but you know if the guys are getting better, then that's at least something to look forward to. And I'm just like sitting here today, and I'm like, we've seen Levi play center back, what like probably less than five times this season. Um, but what's if we're if we are gonna have poor results, I'd rather have guys learning and playing in the position that they're gonna be playing for the next ten years here. 
as opposed to shunning him out the left back, which is a short-term move to get short-term results that we're not getting. So if we are going to drop points, play guys in the right position. And, you know, we, we get the results are going to be up and down, but like let guys make mistakes at the positions they're going to be at in the future, as opposed to like everyone's been getting on Levi's back lately for not being a, like some mistakes he's been making at left back, which they've been harsh on it as well. But like, he's not a left back. He's a center, he's a center back and he's one of the best center back talents in the world. And we haven't been playing him there. Like, I, I just don't get it. Uh, it also doesn't help that the one, I, I'm a big Ian Matson fan. I've been an Ian Matson fan since like yeah, three, four him. years ago when he came onto the scene. And I, I, I remember making promises that he would be in the Chelsea first team by like 2021. And it's taken two extra years, but he should be right there. For him to be considered in every position except left back is just completely jarring. Yeah. And it's, it's there is an element where you kind of have to let them make mistakes, Nick. I agree with that. Uh, there is also another element where you have players like Enzo and Cancelo who are brilliant signings on paper individually and are now made to look like absolute trash, just completely left. There's no help there. And Enzo, bless him, he's trying his absolute best to make something look good. Even he doesn't, he, even he's looking mediocre and. I want to say a pushover in cer- certain games where it's it's just he's Pochettino has no plan for them or the plan that he has is completely against what they stand for as far as strength as what whatever their strengths are and I just I'm so lost I I I feel like within the first month when we found out that he was doing when he was like doing all of this weird crazy shit just uh I don't know, because he had pressure from elsewhere. At, at, at that point, we should have figured out that it was not going to change because we've been here before. As much as Pochettino was supposed to be different from Tuchel or like uh, Potter, like it's it's the exact same pattern of sequence, yeah. Which, yeah. Leads yeah, me to my, which leads me to my next point is even though Poch has been terrible, there's obviously some pressure from the higher-ups, from the directors and the owners part. Bro, these poor members stink. Yeah. Let's just I, let's just let's be honest. Like, I don't. Yeah. Obviously, it, it, we don't know everything that goes on, but man, some of the decisions these guys have made just stink. Like, wh- yeah. I, sorry, I I want to I, I do want to discuss the owners and the directors probably later, but before I do that, I do want to just go on my own little two three minute round about pretty much all what you've talked about, and I think all of you pretty much summed it. Prof, right. can I just so mention something go real quick, and then I'll give you yeah. one mm. thing. I'm going to back up on size point is the fact that uh, left back who, mind you, is known for overlapping well, also inverting, also playing the role that you literally had Ben Chilwell, who's not used to it and looked very poor whilst doing it, is playing <laughs> anywhere but left back. He was in, in the championship team role. of the season, man. It, At left back. It's not <laughs> jarring. It's mind-boggling. It makes the sense of putting peanut butter on your television. Like that, no. that's just the equivalent. I thought you were going to say peanut butter on your toes. I was going to diss you that. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm sorry. It's not. It's not jarring. It's mind-boggling. I, just, I look. You can have your opinion on Ian Matson based off one game where he got pushed out of a ball mm. and the opponent scored. That's fine with me. And people will say he's not good. Can we please just look at the ten minutes he played against West Ham as a left back and how? Uh, sorry, Everton. Apologies. And yeah. how much 
just slightly better we looked offensively. We still looked, obviously, against the packed-up defense, you're obviously going to struggle, and it was 10 minutes. But can someone understand that this is where you take a look, you sit back, you analyze, and you say, okay, what have I got to lose at this point? At le- yeah, at least try it. And those We're same people on ESPN ten- asked about that. That We're shove sitting at would watch ten- Jorginho do it every, like, watch it happen to Jorginho every week and still call him world class. But that's a different conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just the moment he said it, I go, it, my, my, I lit up again. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> No, Peter, thank you for calling me out on it because it is not just jarring. It is criminal. We should call it for what it is. It is absolutely criminal for a manager to do that. You know know what I'm going to say? Go on. No, he's absolutely right. It is criminal. It is is criminal. criminal. I'm sorry because you have a 60 million left back problem staring at you in the face that you wanted to let go of and didn't give a single minute to in preseason. After just yeah. one game, what was it? I don't care. Like after after one minute of the season, you just stop playing him, and then you've got a left back being given super sub minutes on the right wing. What the actual f am I seeing here? Like I, I, it's it's I'm, I'm, he was I'm so good. Say, well, I'm curious, yeah. so when have you ever heard me rant like this? I'm sorry. Like when have you ever heard me? I think like there's I think there's one more thing as well, which is just gonna really top it all off. And this is all at the same time that Pochettino himself decided in preseason that Lewis Hall wasn't good enough at left back. He decided in preseason that oh, I'm just not gonna play Lewis at left back. And then when he gave him ten minutes in preseason, Lewis Hall decided to run through the whole team about five times, and we were like, yeah, let's just sell him for thirty mil. Um. But yeah, I, I think I got a mute. I got a mute. I'm I'm a loser. <laughs> I'm a loser. Uh, honestly, it's I this like it's, what's the superlative above mind blowing? The whole thing is dumb. I think I think the the points I want to get at is look, it, the reason I was advocating for Pochettino um, is like what Nick mentioned before is like okay, you've got a young squad. He's going to be really good at developing players. If he uses the principles which he has done. We're going to be fine. And yes, we're going to see blips along the way, but I think he's good enough that he can sort of lead to top four with this squad. And I think these last few games have sort of made everyone think, oh, this squad is so bad, blah, 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 blah. I think if you came in looking to this season, I think you would have said, okay, this squad can get top four. And I think people have got to sort of get that right in the sense that, okay, injuries have not helped us. We It feels like we have about... 20 injuries at once and some of that to really key players it feels like our keeper like Enzo and Caicedo don't know how to play football but I think it comes back to Pochettino in that we brought him in to develop players and stuff and we're not really seeing that the only player we've perhaps seen develop in the last few games is Mikhailo Mudrik and he himself has I'd say that performance against Everton was much much better yet it still fell below average and I think that's the problem we're at so I think with with Poch it's just interesting um and then that leads me on to the perfectly to the points you were discussing about sort of Ian Martin and Levi Colwell. I mean, Levi Colwell, we spent, we have spent a year, if not a year, trying to keep him because he is one of the most talented centre-backs in the world. And all of a sudden you just chuck him at left-back. And I understand having to do it for one or two games. But if you're going to play Cucurella anyway, why not play Cucurella at left-back? And Colwell and centre back, or don't play Colwell, just put him on the bench. Why not play Cucurella left back and only Desassi right back? That's one player out of position. If you put Cucurella right back, Colwell at left back, you're playing two players out of position. For me, it's just mind boggling how what on earth is going on. Um, and look, I think Colwell is comfortably better than Thiago Silva. I think Colwell's comfortably better than Desassi, but that's the debate I think 
what between Pochettino is having because I think Bajashila is our best player honestly at centre-back I think Kowal is better but my point is being so far this season what from what we've seen and everything I think Benoit really yeah, two are our best though for sure has this, exactly and I think everyone would bring up the two left-footed things but we haven't even seen them play once together um, and Bajashila has played right centre-back before playing them together Pari what stops us from playing them know. together? I the don't fact know. That if if Kukurea can play a right back, then we can play those two left footers. Exactly. exactly. These are smart enough centre-backs that they know how to use their body and their roles. And Levi's right foot is more than good enough as well. So I think the whole thing is a load of nonsense. And this is another point. If if it's a really that much of a shambles, your whole thing, just switch to five at the back. I know we've been crying yeah. out to be four at the back for the last few years, but you literally have the option of playing Disassi, Cole will Badiashile back three or even Tiago I think Tiago Silva in a back three is somewhat more acceptable than in a back four um, and then it solves out your wing back issues as well you can suddenly use Ian Marks in that left wing back because for some reason Pacino is too afraid to use him at left back so use him at left wing back because there's less defensive responsibility on him he can actually bomb forward and his height becomes less of an issue and then you're okay you're same stuck with the same right wing back option as last time but hopefully he'll stay back soon and you, you know what worse comes worse just play Cucurella there fucking play Raheem Sterling there for all I care like it's like it's not that difficult and then there's so many other things fucking where's Noni Madweke gone like he's not even on the injury <laughs> list Meaning he's not in the squad, but he's yeah sorry he's not he's not on the injury list. Meaning he's available. Yeah, he's not in squad. We've not seen him in training. Someone made the excellent point to me this morning that I don't know if it's true or not, but Noni Madueke was quite clearly a Christopher Vivell signing, and Vivell yeah. is no longer at the club. And I just wonder if there is anything linked there. Can we talk um, about the directors now? I've been dying no, to talk give about me these one more guys, second. Man. One more second. My last thing I want to discuss is, which clearly shows that something is wrong, is this fucking midfield we've spent £250 million on. They are two very, very good players. I don't want anyone saying otherwise. Caicedo and Enzo are both world-class talents and insane midfielders. And they just look like they can't play football. I mean, Enzo, I think, is so tired. But this comes back to Pochino. Yeah. Just to give him a rest. Just give him a two to three game rest. And just, I just don't want to see him play on the football pitch for two, three games and he'll be back to normal. Caicedo, I think, has actually improved over the last few weeks. And I think he's looked really good recently. Um, but it just doesn't allow anything. And the last point I wanted to go on before we go into Peter and the directors is on Conor Gallagher. And I think it's a really interesting one, Conor, because I absolutely adore the man. And... Yet, I agree with Mikel's comment um, and others saying, oh, he wouldn't have got on our team five, six years ago. But I think the con- the big contradiction to that is that, OK, Enzo and Caicedo, the way they're playing, also wouldn't have got into our bad team. And then the other thing about Gallagher is people used the argument that, oh, if he's been our top three player this season, then it sums up the thing about Pochettino and our team and our squad at the moment. And I think they they, they have a point to an extent, but I I just don't like how people are looking at Connor in that way. I think you need to look at it in the fact that Connor's actually got that adaptability about him, and that's a big trait of his, which perhaps other mid- the other midfielders, which we decided to spend 130 million on, you know, you would think, hopefully, that they would have been able to offer a bit more so far. So, I think with Connor, it's going to be really interesting, and I'll bring it on with the, his discuss his um, sort of situation later when we discuss about directors because he still hasn't been offered a contract, and that makes January I think very interesting. Um, but yeah, oh, Peter, Peter, then whoever, and then directors go. Actually, I was just going to Peter, are you going to speak about Posh again? No, I'm going to speak about Enzo and Cons- Oh wait, okay, fair enough. I will be speaking about Posh. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> okay, yeah, because uh, actually, yeah, you go, and then I have just one <laughs> last thought about Posh. <laughs> Okay, we'll go Peter, Siram, then Nick. And that's where we go. All I was going to say is that um, on your point, 
part of what you said about the two the two midfielders. I, to me, to me, that's such a systematic issue when it comes back to what I said about the giant hole. It's literally Niagara Falls reincarnated in our midfield, and I'm sorry, but the positioning is just terrible, man. I don't know. Yeah. See, look, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm far away from that. But because I worked in an analytics firm and I had to do like player by player work, looking over and stuff like that, and you kind of get used to just not looking at the ball sometimes. And just looking at other factors whenever you have the chance. So you I don't I don't know how and this is kind of an interchanging issue, but to me, the most balanced and well we've looked in that in the field was actually against Everton. Because I feel like yes, they gave us more of the ball and so on and so on, but to a degree, Conor Gallagher stepped back from what his usual role is, which is pushing higher as highest up the pitch as he can, and maybe sometimes interchanging with Enzo. But Enzo can't compensate for the work rate that Connor does because he's not that type of player. And then Caicedo had cover in behind him because behind him usually was Badiashile and Disassi. There was no Thiago Silva, so he has also protection from people who can push forward and try and shield him even if he's bypassed. So it's a combination of the tactic the tactics that we try to employ that we keep the players too far off together. And whilst again I'm not a professional manager, like I'm not trying to speak as if I know like dead in my palms, like what I want to do. But when you look at it, it's normal for players who are slower off their feet in tracking. It's even if you have Jorginho in there, not Enzo, you're still going to have the same issue. And then we'll be killing Jorginho for having for misplacing like the positions he's in and so on and so on. But it all comes down to the setup we employ. And right now, it's a terrible setup. I'll be honest with you. To me, the idea of Conor Gallagher being sometimes pressing closer to Cole Palmer and subsequently trying to overflood one area, the moment that gets bypassed, you have both Enzo and Caicedo sitting off next to each other, but they're actually so not close to each other as you'd want that they're easily bypassed as well. And we've been conceding chances. Man United did this to us. They absolutely destroyed us when they did this. And I know people are saying, oh, look who misses Conor Gallagher now. Yeah, no. We had the same issue against Newcastle. We had the same issue against West Ham. We had similar issues consistently. That's why consistently we've been shipping off chances. This is not just one person issue. I personally don't rate Conor Gallagher as high, but to me, it's not just him and he's played actually really great. He has his issues. Fair enough. He compensates with a lot of other things. But this whole system is just terrible. Like The, the misplacing of player positions... Fine, the building of it, like that's one thing, but like the building of a system in terms of actually balancing out your players and knowing the strengths is just what shocks me, to be honest. Because the one thing I hate is being shipping chances left and right, and then we, we just look at it and blame players and say this shit, which they aren't. They, they deep it, they are not. Yeah, because you could easily say before, like the stretch of games before uh, Newcastle, I think even I'd say even City, um, is, is, the, is that we create chances and we usually have like a good defense keep our opponents like actually low less number of shots and everything and they'd be like some unluckiness to it but now it's just completely blown apart and uh i i i, I struggled to pinpoint where exactly it all fell apart uh i mean as far as like the system goes it's been very similar with how he set up gallagher with respect to the midfield and I think the last thing that I wanted to like actually talk about watch before, and this sort of ties in with Nick going on a rant about the directors, is how Poch is now uh, saying publicly that he's looking, he should, like looking towards the club to make more signings to strengthen the squad. 
And all I can think about is absolutely not. I mean, yes, there are some positions where a striker signing would be maybe like necessary. But when you're looking at the squad, when you're looking at how much money we've spent, I cannot comprehend how this man is saying we should sign more players right now. Listen, I was all like Nick. I was defending Potter. I was saying how a lot of the signings that were made weren't under like exact like his his go ahead, and because of that, he struggled with squad building and whatever. But Potter was there, and even though he didn't really he didn't really want many of the players we ended up signing, like that is what we're paying you the money for. We are paying you to get the best out of these players or a select group of players and bin the rest. That is pretty much exactly what Clear Lake and Bowley have been sort of preaching about. And now he's talking about signing more players in the in a, a period of the club where there's nothing but uncertainty with respect to signings, with respect to the directors, with respect to the owners, even I'd say. It's just ridiculous to me. And I don't know, I guess that sort of ties into just how how screwed we are from top to bottom, Nick. I, I, I do you agree? <laughs> that targets right? always stink too, man. Leandro Paredes, get ready. Like, oh sorry, God, I just I, I do want to come in though, but do you not think Pochettino saying he and this links very nicely to the directors? Do you not think Pochettino saying he needs reinforcements in January? I don't think he's that shameless. After if he was to spend however much we spend in the summer on the sort of players he wanted. I, I, I believe that man enough that I don't think he would have asked for more if we signed sort of players he wanted and actually, you know, got what he wanted. Yeah, so I agree with is that. the issue perhaps a little bit as well more above? In terms of the oh. directors themselves, because I've got like about 10 to 15 minutes more in me and i got to go. Um, do you know what? On, on kind of the lowest of keys, I'll be honest, like, listen, I'm... I'm far away from defending them. I think I was I was very heavy on this project. I think they their ideas and their intentions are generally good. I think their the ideas that they wanted to implement were shoehorned really quickly. Absolutely true. But the thing is, when you think about it, they came into a scene that was just like this. There was people consistently talking about oh my word, these guys, they won't spend money, they're American, we we were going to be like Arsenal, well, I wish I was like Arsenal right now, and I never wish I'd said that. Um, <laughs> bottom of my heart, I hate Arsenal, everybody knows that. Um, so, but, that's the thing, like, it, this pressure initially, I feel, they're already, like, part owners of the Dodgers, like, they're the biggest market in there, and this is far away, the discussion from, like, this is a different sport and all that, but they came in with pressure to actually immediately please the fan base that is um, the Chelsea fan base, and it goes a long way to be pleased, because I'm sorry, nobody was batting on an eyelid the moment they came in and spent one million, and one billion, sorry, right? The the moment that happened, every bad grace during like the transfer markets, all the frustration, everything, it went off. Like it it, it disappeared. Honestly, it took yes, it took Kukurea flopping and it took Kulibali, and they were like, okay, cool, now we got a resale and da 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 da. da. And then the, the the next 500 million came, and then before that, it was the Enzo transfer. There was a splashing on the Caicedo thing. Like that's all well and dandy, but that's not just what owners should be doing and like the way they've kind of 
brought in numerous directors and scouts and all that, and then just sacked off all the rest, tried to, and people might not know this, but they've put in like a new analytics team and so on, like new scouts. It's it's good intentions, but the way they've tried to shoehorn it so fast, it just doesn't happen like this. Like yeah. th- this isn't this isn't basketball where like you change one playbook and suddenly everything like will, with time will click like immediately. This is and by all means, this isn't criticism towards baseball uh, basketball. Sorry, but you know what I'm trying to say, Nick inside, because you both watch American sports. Like this, this sorry, is, just just to play devil's advocate though. I don't agree with this, but I think some would say that, okay, look, you've said they're making the right intentions, and it, you've also admitted that, yes, it won't click in straight away, but I guess you can also probably relate to basketball as well, and I don't know enough, but do you not think that these good intentions which they made and the appointments will mean that perhaps in the future we will see the benefits of this whole thing? That's the thing, really. Like, right now, if I... Listen, Parf, if I had a crystal ball... I'd go and like bet on the lottery <laughs> tomorrow and I'll be a millionaire and not talk to you on this podcast or at least invest in it so it becomes a million dollars worth of podcast. Uh, but, I appreciate that. <laughs> but but no. I don't. So I can't really say whether we can this can happen. To me, like the optimist in me says this 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 is hell right now, but it'll get better because like word to that Munich guy. It, it has to, right? Like, it, uh, it can't get worse. <laughs> kind of one manager big managerial appointment or one um, kind of signing away from one, like one thing could click and then it all could turn upwards in an instant. Like that's that's the slimmest margin of. Okay, where but you 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 out. think we're you think we're at that point? Do you that one thing could just click and think? Because my current thinking is, I think there's a it's a lot messier upstairs than. Yeah, than I was going to say think. that. That go on. Unfortunately, to me, it's actually much more messier than described. To me, this this just. A lot of chopping and changing that never goes well. It's the the sort of situation around the academy is terrible because, huh? Yeah, I would agree. No, Nick. No, I'm just messing with you. you, When you when you think about it, like, look, I'm not, I'm not like what what I've said before is I've so far not seen us regret the selling of a certain like certain Cobham talents until Tino and uh, Hall and I say this not because I don't think like we would have saved money on guys like Gerhi <laughs> and Tomori absolutely we would have absolutely like if you ask me right now would I have uh, did Sassy or we really Mark regret Gerhi? the Abraham selling maybe the most perhaps huh? perhaps but like in hindsight in hindsight these guys have not hit the strides that people were saying they would have hit and that's fair and that's fine. It's bad on us, but okay, previous regime and so on and so on. The issue is right now, you've created such an environment that literally everybody on the biggest platform when it comes to commenting live on football, Twitter, is knows that you're going to sell off your academy players if you have the ability to sign whoever. And you're not even signing like star-star players. You're just signing... Mudrik. Some, no, not even Mudrik. You're signing youth players like... <laughs> Well, I'm all for William Estival. There's a reason they call him a senior, get me. But you don't have a guarantee with him. You don't. That's just facts. And going in and spending 20 million on him makes zero sense. Makes zero sense. It makes zero sense. He can't play for Chelsea until he's 18. You're betting a lot on new kids and a whole new generation coming in. When this is kids, their development is different. Everybody's, it's not a one-way path. Like you, it's not football manager where you sign all the one the kids, put them in these positions, and by game ten they start clicking. 
It's just not. And yeah. We're rushing that part of it too. Cause I think we were trying to get the multi club set up, you know, and then, you know, get these talents and send them through these clubs where we're doing it the opposite, where we're buying the talent first. And I mean, we only have Strasbourg right now. So I don't know. It's, it's, there's the log jam in Minfield right now, which is why we're going to sell Gallagher, but like, no, I, I think I think it's we're in a we're in a really interesting situation. I I'm just gonna read out a report from ten minutes ago, which came up from Bobby Vincent, and it was earlier Matson, related yeah. to what we were talking about earlier about Ian Martin. Um, it's well, he's reported and he's a pretty reliable reporter that he is very much part of our plans to sell in January. But the big thing is that he actually Martin wouldn't mind leaving. I think the big thing in Sama was that. Burnley bid on deadline day 30 mil and it was Martin who refused um, Bro, as much Matchin as Chelsea has accepted. wanted to make it at Chelsea so bad like this dude loves Chelsea like he has wanted this to make it point. here so badly and he and he's not even one of the one of the common guys that's been here since he was like six I can't remember what age he moved over but yeah it, it was what like 15 or 16 he moved Must over been 15 from... 16 and the thing is you don't go on three loans three to one in the league one two in the championship if you don't have a sight of making it in Premier League or Chelsea sort of plans and I think what most, what's most frustrating about Martin is that he had such a good preseason. and okay it was at this right 10 role which we don't play anymore and I think he is worse than our other options there but it clearly showed that he was a good footballer and we are quite literally having an absolute nightmare at left back so for him not to play there is crazy but anyway we've talked about that but back to directors I think what's really interesting um, it's sort of the the ownership split and the director split. Look, I think from from what I have read, at least, um, the the intentions I got from Todd Burley when he arrived, from what we heard in the quotes, as much as people can talk the talk or not walk the walk, they sounded really good. The way four, he four, was three. gonna, yeah, the the way the way he was gonna use the academy, um, the way sort of he he lined up. But what what, what I will say is. Towards the end of last season, I did hear this, and I think it's been pretty much made clear since as well from other reports that after the the bad season, sort of Clear Lake and the other people who have got share in the ownership have completely forgotten. Um, they they sort of got a bit sort of disappointed with the performance of last season, and they tried 100%. to take a much more hands-on approach than perhaps Todd Bowley would have done. Um, and I think that that. Is a is a real sign that, let alone there being about six directors and we don't have a clue what any of them do, and I'm going to take their words into it. They they came out with their statement before this season saying that they were very happy with the squad we were at this season. Those, those were those words in a massive statement they read to what they made for the Chelsea fans at the ahead of the season. Um, and yet, it feels like we have so many problems, and they also were the ones who spent months while Frank Lampard was interim manager deciding that Pochettino was that guy. So there's clearly a massive issue in that sense, and yeah. it just seems like it seems like a whole mess, and it seems like there's also a bunch of other things probably going on which we don't even know about. I mean, long, long-serving staff have left, whether that was scouts, staff members analysts medical department whatever i don't mind okay i, I don't mind doing 
sort of an overturn and getting your people in, I think it's really important for a business, but you've got to have some sort of culture. And I think the big thing I want to end on in this point is that it just feels like the Chelsea culture is going away and it's just turning into a bit of a business. And football is a business, except football, as much as football is a business, it's still very reliant on your fans and your culture. And while I think Chelsea fans are quite fickle themselves um, <laughs> and they didn't really give Burley a chance or the players a chance and they don't and their atmosphere as soon as you go a goal down or you even try and recycle a style of play just drops um, if you're not going to get them on your side it, it's going to be difficult and I think the reason Potter was sacked last season was because they were wary of the fans reaction I think it's actually not the best thing to do to be honest to listen to fans when it comes to such business decisions I'm not saying Burley sacked not our fans man no, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying Burley even sacked Potter just because the fans wanted to. I think that's a bit ridiculous. But it'll be interesting. Say, a, say a loss on the weekend against Sheffield United. I think fans. Well, I think half the fans were willing to give Potter a chance. Half of the fans were like, oh, he's former Spurs, blah blah blah, blah other things as well. Rightly so. Um, whether you know the state. My point is, two, two probably two games before Potter was sacked, the statements coming out were we very much back Potter. He's we're looking forward to having him in January and whatever. Um, and here we are, sort of, again, with Pochettino, statements coming out that, oh, he's fine. It will only take two or three massive losses for us to even think about considering. And I do just wonder if we have somehow wasted a year in the fact that we are in the same situation as Potter last year, except 10 times worse. So I think it's all yeah. just a bit of a shambles. We should yeah. have just tried with Ainge, but unfortunately our fans were never going to do it. It's just facts. I'm sorry. Like it's just facts. Like if you, if you really wanted to risk such an appointment, fair enough. But and people will probably say, "Oh, hipster manager." Da 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 da. I'm sorry, but Ainge has been in and around the world, and fair enough, he didn't have the experience, but he's been there building squads as well, and he knows that he has a philosophy. You see, you see, the moment you watch Spurs, you, you know see his hand. You see his handprint stamped on that team. Like, bang on, like, wow, that's it. And would you not argue that perhaps before this stint, you would have said with Pochino, okay, you're getting a four-two-three-one, you're getting a high press, you're absolutely. getting some nice football, you're getting a development of youth players. Yeah. So, 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 what, so what, what, what's going on then? Absolutely, I completely agree with you. The thing I'm saying is that before everything happened, and Nick can back me up on this because me and him talk on a regular size well, but like with Nick, I talk on a regular, and we talked a lot about this. The only manager that I would have had above Pochettino, and I admit I was very pro-Pochettino, I'm very wary right now. The only manager I would have had, other than ahead of Pochettino, sorry, was Ange Postecoglou. Literally just him. Nobody else. I said it because I've seen it. I was so sure that if we get him, we get what everybody's been praying for, which is sexy football, supposedly, and the philosophy. Like Whether we have like naive losses, we will. Because mm. this man doesn't change. That's what I've always said. And good leader too. Like, just listen to the way he speaks about the way he wants his players to play. Like, sure, like the four-one loss to us. You know, you could say whatever about you know being super naive or or whatnot. But I think the most important thing that Pasakaglu always brings is that it, it, his message gets across the entire team. And and like you said, Peter, when you watch Spurs. You tell that that's a that's a Pasta Coglu side. When you watch, if you were watching us right now, 
Um, <clears throat> I don't think you and and you didn't know who our manager was. I think it would take you several guesses before you got to to Pochettino. Okay, but I do have one thing that I wanted to bring up in that. So I mean, we're all we were all very pro Poch heavy, except me. I was kind of leaning towards Nagelsmann, but I'm not gonna like bring that up on anybody right now. Um, We've spent a lot of this time slandering Poch as we should. He, he deserves the criticism and all of it, but we're he also we're also in a position where he's been under so much pressure to succeed because of the investment from the directors, and yeah, it's simply not. About this, sorry, it's simply not the same situation with uh, with Ainge. Like he he's the the big part of why he's able to succeed at Spurs is because he's been able to implement his philosophy and get his message through to cross his players. And that's something that you both have mentioned. But he's being allowed to do that. Whereas with Poch, there's this there's this very subliminal expectation that with the amount of investment that this team can rally to a top four finish this season itself in the beginning of the season. Obviously we're very far from there. It's just I just don't know if any other manager would have been able to succeed in this environment, despite how bad Poch has been. That yeah. said, I mean, I don't know. The the I think the underlying message is I'm simply lost on where we go from here. If a yeah. new manager comes in, is he going to help? If we bring in new directors, what's how long is it going to uptake? And then there's an element to this that we haven't discussed yet. I'm, I'm not sure if we will have time for it or not. But we have spent so much money. We're in a lot of financial trouble. And... A couple of years from now, we'll have to undergo the whole stadium redevelopment phase, which yeah. brings its own thing. I I got I got two points to kind of go go off of that. Um, I de- I, I definitely I remember. You know? I'm sorry. Oh, you yeah, I have to go sadly because I just got a car drive for like ten minutes, so I'm really sorry. I got you. Good luck in your game, man. But yeah, so guys, it was a massive pleasure. Really, thank you for having me. I'm sorry I'm not going to stay for the whole pod, but thanks for having me on, Puff. And I'll see you on all chat on Twitter as always. Thanks, Peter. No worries. Thank you very much for coming on, Peter. Uh, you know where to find Peter. We will just continue this discussion, Nick and Simon, before wrapping up. Um, we yeah. haven't been going on for almost an hour. Um, but I'll, I'll hand it back over, so carry on. All right. So um, what were you, you were talking about? Um, oh, Pochettino not really being in the right environment to succeed. I remember uh, kind of making that similar argument with with Potter last season uh and so it's Didn't pretty frustrating still feel like we're in the same situation where no matter who the manager is it feels like we're, we're not going to be getting what we're expecting um but I think to talk about the directors for the second point I think it's pretty obvious that we were really banking on Michael Edwards being our our director um and so kind of when he didn't really reject us so to say i knew he was blown away by our project um but he just obviously he just started his own uh little business and i, I know that's kind of what he was wanting to do anyway so that's why he rejected us um but i don't know just when i i feel like a lot of it is on winstally i know it's no way to be certain um because look we don't know everything that goes on but to kind of hear what todd's Bowley's plan was um in that January window, um, I know, what was it? He wanted to do Rice, Bellingham, Mount, midfield. Um, I know he really wanted a, a really strong English core at the club. Um, you know, he had talked about, you know, having a very strong academy, um, you know, when he bought the club and kind of those those interviews that he was doing um, before, you know, things really started to ramp up. 
I think you can just tell by kind of Boli and, and Ekbali kind of being, you know, less out in public now, you know, that the way Poch talks in his, in his pre- press conferences now, just where it really feels like we're walking backwards. Um, it was clear that the expectation was top four to start the season. You could hear it in Poch's first interview with the club. You know, that's what he was aiming for. He wanted to make us the Chelsea of old again, you know, winners. And now it's, um, what was the last thing he said? That we're a mid-table club. And it's not like he's wrong, which is the worst part. But, like, we've we've gone from wanting to win everything to we're a mid-table club. And I think that's a perfect indication of the direction we've been moving, which is which is unfortunate for a side that has spent a billion dollars or pounds. Bart, can I ask you a question just on that? Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter obviously said, asked, uh, he mentioned how there will be a bounce back eventually and how, how you guys had that uh, discussion about will it get better or will it get worse, et cetera. How, how, how much worse do you actually see it getting? I think, I think the issue which we perhaps could face is on the more of an issue which we could face is definitely on the financial side. Now, I'm not going to act like I know what the books are going on right now, but I think a lot of our signings so far and the way we've gone about our policy in the last sort of 12 months has been very risky in the sense that I think, one, it relied on getting Europe massively. And I don't think we are getting Champions League football, let alone Europa League football this season. Um, And secondly, these big money contracts on very long contracts is a huge risk. And when you when you're going to squad build the way we have and it be that poor, you're, you're looking at massive, massive issues. For example, I think the argument for for Noni okay no no I'll say okay Noni Noni signing in January it looked really good right 25 mil 30 mil on a very talented winger you're going to give him time to play he's either going to develop and to a level where he becomes a, a really really good option for us to have and we keep him around or you develop him to become a 50 60 million pound player who we sell in three, four years' time, and that's why you give him the seven, eight-year contract. But the problem comes in where you bring in Cole Palmer, you bring in Mudrick, so I mean Sterling goes to the right-hand side, and all of a sudden, Noni isn't starting lineups, let alone making squads. And if you were to sell Noni in January, which has been the latest briefing, you're are you really making profit on that 30 million? I I honestly don't think you are. Um, And I think that we're going to see huge issues with. And that also brings out to the point of just stock hoarding talent. Someone like David Washington, right? I'm I'm honestly not bothered about his talent. I have not watched him enough to decide if I think he's really talented or if he's just useless. But signing a player like him for 17 million and not having a plan the, the early reports were, oh, he's going to on loan to Strasbourg. He then doesn't go on loan to Strasbourg. Was the plan always for him to stick around with the under-21s? I don't think it was. And if it was, are you planning to send him out on loan in January? January loans are always really risky. So have you just wasted a year of signing him? Did you even need to sign him in the first place? And with players like 
um, Angelo or Morero or Hutchinson, it makes sense. You've got them for really cheap or free, and you can actually make a good turnover. Look, Hutchinson is probably going to get sold this summer, but look, you got them in for free. You're probably going to sell them for around 10 to 15 mil. Kind of makes sense. Or you use them in the first team squad, even better. With David Washington, you signed him for 17 mil. Realistically, do we have the facilities at Chelsea or at multi-club models to be able to develop him into a stage where he gets into the 30 mil break? Same with even Cassidy and Santos. When you sign Cesare Cassidy for 20 mil and you sign Santos for 20 mil, with Santos, what, we just we sent him on to Nottingham Forest, he isn't getting a single minute. And Cassidy is having a decent-ish, 50-50 loan in, in Leicester in the Championship. I think he's going to learn a lot and improve, but again, is he going to improve enough that clubs want him? And the, the, the last point I'll bring up on this is that the clubs who are going to want these players and the clubs who perhaps we could make a profit on are these broke. guys on are broke or Premier League clubs. Yep. So, so we are developing, developing for players for Premier League clubs. And I think the whole thing is a bit flawed and in that sense, I think we could see some huge financial impacts perhaps over the next few years. I just, I actually just don't know. But you, there's also the argument that can it really get worse than the state we're in right now? Yeah. I think what's going to happen is we're going to rely on the fact that performances go up, everything goes a bit smooth sailing, and we just get better over the next few years with a with a pretty t- talented squad. Yes, it's missing a few key areas, but I think that's what that's when you'll need the windows for and. The problem is with the transfer windows is to bring three or four players in, you have to let go of about five or six players in the squad. It'll just be interesting to see who they are rather than how many. Parth, I know you you kind of brought this, yeah. I don't know, a hypothetical up, but um, on the question of if it can get worse, I mean, to see some long-standing staff leave already, but if Neil Bath were to leave, I think it would get pretty dark because Cobham, you know, ends up saving our, our ass more than it more than it doesn't. And if we kind of take the key man of that away, I don't know. Mm, I think you're right. I, I did talk about Neil Bath leaving on the weekend, and that was just a, a random thought, which I just had a while. There's, honestly, I promise nothing which I'd heard to suggest that way. And if anything, anything I've heard suggests that he's happy in his role and, he, you know, him and Jim Fraser do want to stay and, and carry on running, you know, the best academy in the country. But... I think my my point with those tweets was that, look, Joe Shields has come in and become that guy and he's signed players who he wants. And that's why, you know, these players are getting signed. Paul Winstanley has also done the same. Neil Barth has been promoted to this a bit of a wishy-washy role, director of what global development or something. Um, and he's he's very much overlooking the academy process, but Jim Fraser has been promoted to head of academy. And you're, you're, you're looking at his role in the board and you're like, what is he actually doing? Because it's not like he can influence the academy players on who to get promoted to the first team. It's, it's not like he can actually have an influence on who's, which academy players are starting game. And it's not like he can convince players, sorry, he can convince the board, the other board members and the owners to go and spend sort of 20, 30 mil on these youngsters when sort of the whole point of that is that the scouting team have been doing that the analysts do that and I think it's just going to be interesting to see that if he feels like his work is being undermined for perhaps the first time he's in his history as sort of head of the academy whether he feels it's just time to move on I think under Roman 
yes, the common was still not being treated well enough, but it, it, the, the, the vibe was different. So I can't explain it. The vibe wasn't great, but it was still positive. Quality players were being produced every single year. And there was that feeling that, okay, if you had a good loan, you know what, you actually can make it into this first team. It just depends a bit on luck on the manager and stuff. Whereas the feeling right now is if you have a good loan or if you're good or if you play well, we are just going to sell you. Um, and I don't yeah. think that's a that's a really horrible feeling to have around. Um, so I, I'd be I'd be very intrigued actually if to to how I'd speak to him. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you boys have anything on really anything else. I think this whole conversation has made me feel a little better as far as that things can improve. But it's also Not made me, me realize. Actually. Yeah, I, it's also made me realize that everything that could possibly go wrong can go wrong <laughs> in the next next few months until the end of the season which is quite daunting uh, so i'll just leave it at that pessimistic thought of mine just wait for january my friend oh boy i can't wait to sign january is gonna be not fun <laughs> oh I'll, I'll ask you to this now actually because i was gonna ask it to peter and i completely forgot um are any of you pochettino out yet I've been Pochettino out for like a significant amount of time. I'm not gonna lie. If there was, if see, I would be if I just don't know what's what's out there that we put in there and everything looks. Obviously, I think we would get a new manager bounce, but I I don't know, man, because I I just have this feeling that they're gonna bring back Jose and. Do you really because think? the fans, because they they've lost the owners are losing the fans, so yeah. I, but I also, genuinely, I I like I don't know if it can get much worse than this. Uh, I I just I don't see anything. But and I, I, I Nick, I know you're like you're still like a little bit potch in, but I just don't see any redemption for him right now. There's nothing. I, I really positive. don't either. Yeah, I really don't either. To be honest with you, like. Is he? Are we really banking on the fact that Nkunku is going to make everything better? Like Nkunku is a very good player, but he's he's not. Nkunku should not be your best player. Like he just yeah. shouldn't be your best attacker. He's a connector. Like we'll retain it's, the ball better in the in. I, th- I know, think if you ask me, look, if if this was if we were in this situation last year, I would have said, oh no, they're obviously going to keep Pochettino. It's part of the process. Blah blah blah. But the way they sacked Potter. It's just got me thinking, okay, they're just going to do the same thing again with Pochettino. And I think last year we were sort of, we just didn't think sacking Potter was an option because the way they had yeah. backed him and the, the way they were coming out with things. But now was, with hindsight, it is so easy to see that it literally is Pochettino, is literally in Potter's situation all over again. Yeah, especially consi- considering the point you had made earlier um, in the pod about Clear Lake kind of exerting a little more control, obviously, as the financial muscle. Um, and Todd kind of being not cast aside, but, you know, his role is clearly diminishing a little bit. Um, I know Todd was Todd has been huge on the long term manager, um, kind of this long term sustainable vision for the club. Uh, he was very big on Potter. And honestly, like in hindsight, we can say the Potter hiring was was not the right one or whatever. Potter was very much the manager of the moment when we, when we sacked Tuchel. Thank God we should have done it earlier, um, and 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 hired Potter. Like Potter was one of the best young managers in Europe at the time. Like he was playing excellent football with Brighton. Um, 
kind of had this he he had this reputation for being able to build something um with little resources um so give someone like that better resources and see what you can accomplish um was kind of our thing um but i know todd was one of the ones who was continuously backing him you know throughout the bad results and i don't know yeah i I was surprised when we when we sacked him um i thought he at least would have gotten to finish the rest of the season but I don't know. Yeah. With with Clear Lake kind of exerting more control, I don't know. I think you lose to Sheffield United. I think things get really messy. They're terrible. Like, there's no way you should lose that game. Like, I think I, I expected to lose at Goodison, to be honest. I didn't think we were going to get anything out of that game. That's been a trap game for years. St. James Park has been a trap game for us. Newcastle has always been tough for us in the last couple of years. Like, I didn't expect much. I didn't expect to get torn apart by United like that. I thought we would have. I I expected to win that game, to be honest. That was um, unacceptable. As far as yeah, results go, that I performance agree with you. Was that was just unacceptable. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But like, if you lose this, if you lose this weekend, I mean, that's that's extremely poor. Like, we, well, to be United honest, I think if we lose team. this weekend, the fans will turn, and I think that'll be it. That that will be done. Yeah, um, I, I agree with that. I, I think uh, most have already turned, but yeah, I think that's... The, yeah, that's I think the, that will be the final point because it is against Sheffield United and then we've got Newcastle in the Cup, which we'll probably lose anyway. So what's going to be interesting is if he does get sacked, and I know we're going with massive hypotheticals here, like are we going to bring in an interim or what? I'm not going to open that question up. I'm just thinking out loud here, like are we going to bring in an interim or are we going to... Do we have someone in the back of our minds? Um, is it going to be Jose? There hasn't really... The, and none of the Jose talk has really come from reports. It's just sort of come from fans. Um, yeah. But I, I will bring up this hypothetical just to wrap up the pod. Let's say Jose comes in and he's here next season. Would you take Romelu Lukaku? I was a question. Sorry. I, I thought I would have kept him this year, to be honest with you. My question, Siren, was if Jose comes back this season and he stays next season, would you keep Romelu Lukaku? Oh God, I'm not gonna answer that question. <laughs> I never had it. I never had as much of, of a of a problem with the Lukaku interview. That just from being an American and being, you know, very used to American sports, that that interview didn't really rub me the wrong way because American athletes talk like that all the time about their former teams or or whatever. Like it didn't really bother me that much. Obviously, you're also a two shit hater, so it was like right up your alley. I was gonna yeah. say. I mean, let, yeah, let, that, dude, I can't. I can't say that. <laughs> I could, I could, we could have a no, a whole nother hour and a half pod about how much I dislike this guy. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, I knew kind of the goal scoring issues were, was going to be a problem with no kind of established strike. I, a lot of people have been, you know, I think opinion on Nicholas Jackson has been very, you know, there, there's people that really like him and there's people that really dislike him and think he's not very good. I personally, I, I see something there. I think he's got a lot of very good qualities. It, it's obvious that for a team that wanted to get top four, he he's not ready to be your starting striker just yet. Like he has, it, it, like Mudrick, he hasn't played a lot of senior football. Like they these guys just haven't. Like I think out of all our signings, Barry Chile had actually been playing first team men's football for a couple seasons already. But like Mudrick. And Jackson, I think they have both had like less than 40 or 50 games at, at senior level. Like that is no, that is no game. Like that's barely any games. 
And so you're right. And I, I think, look, this is where the difference in signings also comes between Jackson and Mudrick. When you're spending 30 mil on a player like Jackson, 30 mil in this day market is yeah. not much. You're like, Nothing, OK, you yeah. know what? Let's let's take that risk. That's fine. You know, analytics are on his side. And he although it was on a small sample size, I actually think Jackson has been very impressive in these first I, sort I agree. Of yeah. start to the season. Where when you come spending hundred million on Mudrick, which isn't Mudrick's fault, any of this. Well, not any of this. I mean, like sort of towards the signing. Like you, you either going to need that impact straight away, or you have to be confident that they're going to provide in the future. And I have that confidence in someone like Enzo or Caicedo. I yeah. do not have anywhere near that confidence in someone like Mudrick because one, he has played about twenty games of senior football, and two, it just feels like. You know, at a club like Chelsea, I think what he needs, and sorry, what I think he needs is just a lot and a lot and a lot of game time. And the best yeah. way for him to do that is actually to go on loan, but that's obviously not going to happen. Um, the best way, I think, he just needs game time and good coaching. And you, I just don't think you're going to get that at a club like Chelsea. Um, so I think the whole thing is a is a massive shambles, really. Yeah. And I just I wonder if they're going to change their policy. I just wonder if they're going to change their policy as well of this under twenty three rule or whatever it is, which has been broken like twice uh, by Dasasi and someone else. So I don't know. It's it's a bit Sanchez. crazy. Yeah, and Sanchez. Yeah, Sanchez and I think we're the only two. Yeah. But this is another thing as well. Sorry, it just come to mind. You're you're spending thirteen million on a backup keeper. So if you're not going to use him in the cup games, what what actually is the point? Like, yeah, if you're gonna if you, you could have just used Jamie Cumming is still, you can use Jamie yeah. Cumming who is still around. You can use Lucas Bergstrom. You can you could have kept Nathan Eddie Peach. and an excellent. Oh, this is going to really piss me off. Mark and Volker, former Chelsea academy player, has literally been the best keeper in the league. I was probably the just best. about to say that part. Oh. Yeah, he's literally the highest rated under twenty three goalkeeper in the world at the moment. And I can finally put a Cobham keeper in my Cobham XI. Go! <laughs> exactly. It's just like the whole thing has just like been an utter mess. And I think we are just now seeing the impact of the mess until last year. Then the crazy mess in the last 12 months. And who on earth yeah. knows what's going to happen in the it's next 12 months. Paying so. for our mistakes, for sure. Like this, yeah. honestly, like, I, I mean, I remember the, the day we sold Goey was like probably one of my least favorite days of my life like it was off um but like you could just tell just these constant mistakes piling up yeah maybe one or two you know is not the worst thing in the world obviously no club is perfect but mm. I, it's just the cycle is... it's the same cycle over and exactly over, and over again and it's i think like that's the big thing learning. Mm. so when when Bowley came in i think the the sort of thing i was saying is okay in the in sort of last the first six to eight months of last season i was like okay we are now finally paying the costs of whatever nonsense we have been doing in the last five, six years. But the, the problem is bigger mistakes. And I agree, yeah. mistakes are going to happen on the way, but bigger mistakes, if not the same mistakes have happened in the last 12 months and more and, expensive and like, more expensive mistakes. Therefore we are going to face even more problems this season, which we are clearly quite clearly facing. And perhaps we are going to as well over the next few years. Um, I just, I honestly don't know how we've come into this situation. It, there's this, there's this feeling of like, actually, like, what are we gonna do? Like, what is the plan yeah. here? Because I think, which is really weird, because I think until the Newcastle games, I think everyone would have been slightly more positive, and everyone was like, okay, like, 
we are just going to get there. But I think these last three losses have just triggered every emotion. So I don't know. It's, it, it's a bit of a shock. Well. Yeah, if you had, like, we made it through that the Arsenal Tottenham City run way better than I think anybody could have expected. Like two draws and a win from those three games. Like, I think at the beginning of the season, I remember seeing a lot of people put that list of fixtures on the timeline and say, this is when Potts was going to get sacked. Like, he's not making it past this. And I mean, Obviously, we want to win, but two draws and a win from those three fixtures is, is fantastic for where we're at right now. And, and just to I mean, these steps backwards have been like jumps, like not even like a small step. Like we are completely a different team from those three fixtures to the last three losses we have. Like it's it's crazy how much of a step back we've taken in, in that small amount of time. Essentially, where we're at right now is that the current squad, there could be, the, the, the current squad could make waves in the future, and the future could be a year from now, two years from now, but there's very there's a lot of talent in this current squad. It's just that with the financial investment that, that was put into this, it's a, it was a huge gamble, and I think that is the part of this whole equation that is just completely, has left fans completely lost as to where we go from here. Yeah, mm, I, I completely agree. Go yeah. on. I, I was going to say, I think that that's where a lot of the frustration with with Potts not being able to get the best out of these people we spent a ton of money on. Like, obviously, you know, the Mujer thing is tough. I don't know what manager is going to get the best out of him. But he, what he what he needs is is like a football education. That's what we need with him. Um, College but like, degree in football. No, <laughs> seriously. Like, is, Go and read like, Matoma's essay, even though it got nothing to do with football. <laughs> that is so fast, <laughs> Bro. Like, I thought Kovacic had no IQ, but who this Mujic brother rivals him, bro. Um, by the way, for anyone who said Kovacic was a good signing for City, hey, I'm not going to say nothing, but I told you. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, my, my, like, my and last... Like, I say Sorry, it, obviously, like, you, you, you break records for those two guys, and, like, even last season, Enzo was looking way better. Yeah. And, like, you just can't have those two guys not performing to to the way they can. Like, I, I'm I don't want Deserby to come in, but like Deserby obviously got a lot of use out of Colwell, got a lot of use out of Caicedo. Um, you know, Potter made Enzo. Enzo was looking great under Potter. Was looking good under Frank. Um, I saw a couple other examples. Um, someone used the Kukure example under Tuchel. Like Kukure has ever been good in the Chelsea team. Um, but, I mean, these guys have played better under other guys. Um, like, Caicedo and Colwell pretty much carried Brighton to, to yeah. Europe. And, and then you have Enzo, who was a top three, top five player on a World Cup winning side. Mm. And now they, yeah. they, they're just not looking the same. And I, and I, I think... think- yeah. yeah, go ahead. I, no, I, was, I, was, I was literally just going to say, like, so you, you mentioned that you're right. And Sirem said, look, this squad is very good and the future, whether that's in one year, two years, five years, is good. And I agree. And as we talked before, Pochino has come out of the press conference saying, you know, we need reinforcements in January. So for me, what's going to be really interesting is, are the owners going to listen to him? And are they going to bring in people in January? If so... We're it's just going to mess things up, right? If we bring in Ivan Tony, that either breaks the rule or is a signing we don't really need to make and automatically makes the Jackson signing redundant. 
Um, or we go and sign Osman, which again makes the Jackson signing redundant. Yeah. Um, so it's just like if we back Pochettino in January, he gets some players. Okay, performances may improve, but you sort of go across. You sort of go against the whole policy and philosophy you've been trying to build over the last twelve months for just a little few results. Or you don't back Pochettino now. He's come out and said that, and you pretty much then are left with the only option, which is sacking him because you've not backed him and yeah. things aren't going to go well. So it must be really dire because Pochettino, I, you know, was getting ready for for his appointment because it was. Well, you know, there was that little, are we going to hire Nagelsmann? But I kind of felt that yeah. we were going to watch the whole time. So I read his book from his from his time at Spurs. And, I mean, he says it himself. He's never been somebody to go ask the directors for um, exactly. signings. Exactly. And now, it, it, I mean, he really does. Like, I, obviously, I've seen a lot of the stuff that he talks about in his book. Like, the relationships with the players, uh, you know, wanting to um, build, build a culture of the club. I've seen him try to do that stuff. But, like some of the other stuff he feels like a completely different person from from the manager that i was reading about in that book and that i was excited about his hiring like it just stinks man and i same thing with potter like i was really excited about these guys i was super excited about the new owners you know what they well what todd had done a little bit with the dodgers a a lot of his influence with them has been a little overstated because he doesn't have that much control over them of course, there's other people that are helping as well. But I was just to be I, I'm I'm a super positive person for for those who know me. Like I, I've been backing this thing very, very hard, even to a fault most of the time. And it just feel like I mean, I, I said it after the last game that the, the project has failed. So we, we have to make an adjustment now before we just dig ourselves into an even bigger hole. Um, and for me to have reached that point really means shit has taken a turn for the worse because I, I'm a pretty big optimist, like like Peter was saying he was too. Like both of us have been um, very excited about, you know, the changes and, and the new guys. But, man, maybe maybe these people were right on the timeline. And that kills me to have to say, bro. Do any of you have anything else to say before we wrap this up? My final thought is I have no faith in Mikhailo Madrid, and if I was Victor Osman, <laughs> I would stay as far away as I can from this wretched institution. Liao, um, man, we could have had Liao, bro. Oh, now that is a footballer. The yeah. less I think about that, the better. Honestly, honestly, but there's been a lot of tweets on my timeline. It's been like, usually I come to Chelsea to get an escape from reality, but now I go to reality from an escape. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm That's being so as true. old as I am right now. I cannot tell you how true those tweets ring, despite yeah, it being a little bit. Just cliche. bought Football Manager just so I could fix our shit. I swear. I literally, I was like, I can't take it anymore. I gotta fix it. It it makes a good. It's really interesting actually because earlier on the season, people were saying they felt disconnected from Chelsea, and I I sort of didn't understand them at the time. But these last three to four games, I've. I felt that, and the biggest way I felt that is, I think before, let's say five games ago, I would move things out of my calendar to watch Chelsea games. But now, yeah. if I have something on at the same time, I'm like, well, fine, I'll go to that instead. Like, I'm that's the, the level I'm at. And like, I it sounds crazy because you'll get the proper Chelsea, and like, oh, you don't care at the club. Like, no, I'm watching games if I can, and I am still trying to move things out of my calendar to watch Chelsea. But I'm not putting in crazy effort like before and I'm not turning up two hours late to this party which I probably should be at just because of the Chelsea. Um, 
But I'm sure, like in a few games after a few wins, we'll be back to normal, and I will start be doing that again. So I think, I think everyone just, yeah, I think as much as we're in a massive mess, both in ownership, directors, players, management, like perhaps a few wins can just kick things off. And I think an element to the frustration is that it's. I think this has probably been one of the most exciting Premier League seasons we're gonna have. Uh, or I, we've had like a bunch of very fun Premier League season, but this one it's so chaotic, so disorganized. Everything can happen, and to see Chelsea so uninvolved in everything is just yeah. so heartbreaking. It's uh, annoying yeah. when you see like a club like Liverpool in first place, and we, I mean, I wouldn't say we destroyed them, but we were very clearly the better team the first yeah, yeah. the first season. Like, and I I was. For sure, United stink, right? And I, I was for sure that we were ahead of them, like as far as where we are um, with our team and the process of yeah. things. And I mean, just to get smoked like that by them is crazy. They, they are an awful side. Like they are not good at all. That was humbling. They, they should be right next to us in the table. That is how bad they are. Yeah. But they completely demolished us. And that result really took, I was not expecting that. Like the Newcastle one, like I said, that was always going to be tough. It was 1-1 going into halftime. We just played a really bad second half. You know, that happens. I I honestly thought that was just a blip. Thought we would respond to United. Mm. And you can tell the first five minutes of that game, it was it was just going to be a shit show. Like in the first couple minutes, you already knew. Like everyone, you can't complete a single pass. Sanchez is giving every – like. Palmer slipping, everybody's getting a chance. Like it was crazy. I, that's one of the worst performances I think I've ever seen us um, uh, play on the on the pitch. It was so bad. And then the Everton one was kind of an obvious loss um, if you've been following Chelsea recently. But yeah, the United one was just crazy. It really was. Um, I'm just gonna do a very 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 brief Cobham update. Um, just now, before we before we wrap things up, um, matos. Off. I didn't spread any matos problem. <laughs> you didn't. Will... My last Go message on. is start Alex Matos next game, please. This this he, kid is awesome, man. You have he, a massive a... chance to use him in the Carabao Cup against Newcastle. Yep. Give Enzo a rest. Start Alex Matos. Give him a chance. Field. Just give him like, a chance, and you never know. There's no, there's, yeah, we're not. Right back. We're not even asking here for four or five academy starters because that's just very, very I am asking for literally Alex Matos to be involved, which will not have an entrance on team. But anyway, back to the Cobham update. Um, under 18s, they won 3 1 against Leicester in the FA Youth Cup in the third Easy round, work. which is Chelsea's first round. We the, All three goals were really, really nice. Go and check that out if you want. Um, who were the goal scorers? It was Donnell McNeely scored inside 38 McNeely. seconds, left foot, left foot is shot on the edge of the box, which went in the corner. Michael Golding then scored with his right again outside of the box. And then Shim Wecker in the last few minutes did really well. Some, some really good off the ball work. One three ballers. Through the team. And then. Tucked it in. It was a it was a really really nice uh, victory that we have then got Everton or Stockport uh, in the next round. That's in the the fourth round. That's away, and they're actually playing as they're going to be playing just actually the result will be out by the time this episode is out. So keep an eye on that one, and also a result which will be out by that time is our 21s fixture which we've got tonight. It's against Luton. I was going to go there, but I'm not anymore. Um, that is against yeah Luton in in the cup competition. We are top of the cup in that comp, 
we own two cups this season and this one the pl cup we are we are top of the group stages so far luton are bottom that should hopefully be a win um hopefully matos and castle don't get some nice performances do well get involved on the weekend um or next week against newcastle or which really should be the banker against preston in the fa cup in january um so keep an eye on that academy football is returning now we've got five home fixtures in a row um but yeah i think that is all from me i'm just gonna say thank you very much for coming on nick been a pleasure as always thanks for having me man it, it's been uh, it's been nice to get stuff off my chest still got still got way more uh if anyone ever wants to talk about Tuchel, you know where to find me i'm ready nick's always there you can find him on twitter links will be in the description or Kovacic. Nick, yeah. Kovacic or Tuchel, go and speak to Nick. Siram, anyone people should come to you to speak to? Mudrik. Uh, well, a bunch of stuff, but I just wanted to iterate that. Listen, guys, Chelsea is not end all be all. Uh, find hobbies. Life is amazing. <laughs> Don't let this oh, be what, what brings you to an end, because trust me, it, it, it's, it, it can be hard. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I should have spread positivity. You're right. Do, yeah. Go 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 on a walk. Go on a run. Do something. I started running six months ago. No, six months ago. Fucking two months ago. And I've run my first half marathon two weeks ago. And we feel great mental Love mentally. That. We feel really good. So forget about the Chelsea. Go and go and I don't know. Go go and play some FIFA for all I care. Just forget about Chelsea. Um, but no, that, that wraps it up really nicely. Um, I'm sure things will get better. I know this was a very ranty slash negative episode, but I think. Despite that, we did try and bring in some positivity and there is that chance that things are going to get better and I think we just have to rely on that chance. But yeah, go and check out Nick and Siram. Their links will be in the description. Um, so will Peter, who had to leave us halfway through. His will also be there. Um, the Chelsea Spot, we're on Twitter, Instagram, uh, our website, thechelseaspot.com. Give us a five-star review on Spotify if you're listening or even iTunes and all of your other listening platforms. Um, but until then, we'll catch you next time.